I'll be reading from Hebrew, uh, Hebrews, the second chapter, verses 5 through 9. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Of the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he might, by grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Welcome to all of you today, and especially if you are among our guests, if you're visiting with us today, thank you for being a part of our, uh, our period of worship today. When my family and I lived just outside of Tyler, Texas, there was a, a brother in Christ there, a member of the congregation where I preached, that had a lot of land. He was a and he had um, a pretty good-sized lake on his property, probably three, three or four-acre uh, lake. And he allowed us to fish there whenever we wanted. Had uh, rain of and so I would take Amos and Daniel uh, there periodically to uh, to try to catch some fish. And they were pretty young at the time. Amos was probably about seven or so, uh, and. On this particular day that I'm thinking of, I was fishing, and, and boys, they were, they were fishing, they were doing their thing, and Amos came up to me with, with his, little, his little boy fishing pole, and it was, it was in a complete mess. It was, was all tangled up, and uh, I think he may have even, you know, had uh, some debris of some kind uh, on the end of his hook, and, and it, was, it was just a mess. And he came up to me, and he, he handed it to me, and he said, Daddy, can you fix it? And I fixed it. And when dads fix things, or moms too, for that matter, when parents fix things, they become the hero. Because when I took the fishing pole, I saw what the problem was, and it took a few minutes, worked it out, the thing was operational again, and he went off fishing just as happy as a clam. But to him, at seven, it was an insurmountable obstacle. It was something he couldn't fix. And so when I fixed it, I was the hero. At the end of Hebrews chapter 2, or really the, the major part of Hebrews chapter 2, 
we find a scenario that has some similarities to that. Certainly it's not exactly the same, but in some respects it is. It's a problem that is infinitely more tragic than a messed up fishing pole. But there's something that's messed up that needed to be fixed. And Jesus is going to be the hero because He's going to fix what our sins messed up. We're studying the book of Hebrews, preaching through uh, Hebrews uh, as we work ourselves through this year. And recall in previous lessons that we identified the fact that there were Christians to whom this letter was originally sent who were struggling. These were Jewish Christians, Jewish people ethnically, but they had embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, had obeyed it, had become children of God. But because of persecution and pressure from Jewish friends and neighbors and family who were not Christians, some of them were vacillating. Some of them were kind of on the edge, on the fence, not sure if they were going to remain faithful to the Lord or if they were going to go back to what would be to them a less persecuted way of life in allegiance to the law of Moses. Well, in what we know is chapter 1 of Hebrews, basically the writer there says, if you turn away from Jesus, here's what you're going to lose. And so much of chapter 1 is spent extolling the virtues of Jesus, identifying who He is, the one through whom God has spoken, uh, the one through whom God made the worlds, the one who is the brightness of God's glory, the express image of God's person, the one who made purification uh, for our sins and has now sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Here's what you're giving up if you give up on Jesus. And so instead of doing that, the first part of chapter 2, which we covered uh, in our last uh, lesson in this series, he says, instead of doing that, pay the greater amount of attention to the things that you've heard from Him, the things that you've been taught, lest you drift from them. Because if you do drift from them, how will you escape if you neglect this great salvation? So hold fast what you've been taught. It's only through Jesus that we can find the fix for what our sins messed up. And that's really what the writer talks about in the rest of that chapter, beginning in verse 5 and going down through verse 18. So let's talk about that this morning. First of all, let's talk about what we messed up. That's verses 5 through 8. The writer begins by identifying, setting the stage and identifying the problem. And in order to do that, he quotes from the Old Testament, specifically from the 8th Psalm. A psalm that praises God for His exaltation of man, of us, of human beings in what God did in placing us over His creation. And so he begins by quoting from the psalm, What is man, this is verse 6 of Hebrews 2, What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? This was, in re this was uh, 
These were the words of David after he had said in the psalm, When I consider the heavens, the work of your hands, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? As David contemplated the expanse of the universe and God's creative power, he began to wonder, who are we, really, that God would be mindful of us, that God would take care of us. And then continuing in verse 7, you made him, still talking about man generally, you made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under His feet. And so God in creating mankind has been mindful of, concerned about, He cares for, He looks after us. Even though we were created lower ranking, if you will, than the angels, yet we are still crowned with glory and honor. In what way? Well, the psalmist tells us we've been crowned with glory and honor because God gave us, human beings generally, authority over His creation. Now that happened at the beginning. That happened when God created the worlds and created mankind. That He put all things in subjection under his feet. And the psalmist goes on to say, though the Hebrews writer doesn't quote this part, but he goes on to describe and, and, and illustrate what it was that God put under the feet in subjection to mankind. And he talks about the animal creation and all things that, that, that pass through even the paths of the sea, all of that. So God's material creation, when God created it and placed man in the world, God said to man... Have dominion over this created world. Subdue it. In other words, God put us in charge. And he said, the psalmist, or excuse me, the writer of Hebrews says at the end of verse 8, in commenting on the psalm, he says, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, to man, he left nothing that was not subject to Him. In other words, everything means everything. When God placed everything under the control, the authority of mankind, that left out nothing. And so when God said, have dominion over the works of my hands, Subdue it. Genesis 1 verse 28, that word subdue means conquer and control. You're in charge, God said to man. But then something happened. And notice how the writer of Hebrews describes it. Again, we're in verse 8. But now, he says... At the present time, we do not see everything subject to Him. The writer of Hebrews is now identifying the problem. 
He said, when God created the world, God crowned mankind with glory and honor by setting him over his creation. And everything was under him. And when he says everything, he means everything. He left nothing not subject to him. But now we don't see that. Something happened. We as human beings lost our dominion and our control over something. What happened when sin became a reality in the world? God told Adam and Eve, if you disobey my law, if you eat of the tree that I've commanded you not to eat, you will surely die. That's what happened. That's what we messed up. Before sin became a reality, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they had access to everything that God had created, including the tree of life. the fruit of which would sustain their lives. But when they sinned, as punishment for that, they were driven from the Garden of Eden and separated from the Tree of Life. And what all of a sudden became a reality? Death. Do we have dominion over death today? It is appointed unto man once to die. Hebrews 9.27 If I just all of a sudden decided today, you know what? I don't like death. I don't like the concept. I don't like the process. So I'm making up my mind right now. I will never die. And if you want it in writing, I'll write it down and I'll sign it. I'm just not going to die. I'm going to live forever in this physical body for as many thousands of years as I want to live. I'm just going to do that because I've made up my mind that's what I'm going to do. Is that going to work? No. It's not going to work. Why? I don't have dominion over that. None of us do. We lost that when sin became a reality. That's what we messed up. That's what we lost dominion over. So when the writer of Hebrews says, when God created everything, He put everything, and I mean everything, under our feet. Nothing was not subject to us. But now, we do not yet see all things subject to Him. And I know he's talking about death because that is... The key term that is used throughout the rest of this chapter. Verse 9. Jesus, for the suffering of death. Jesus, verse 9, tasted of death for every man. Verse uh, 14, that through death he might destroy Satan. Verse 15, that he might deliver those who through fear of death. Right? He's coming back to that throughout the rest of the chapter. 
So when he says, I don't see or we don't see all things subject to him at this time, that's what he's talking about. Adam and Eve opened that door. Romans 5 verse 12. Through one man sin entered the world and death by sin. That's what we messed up. There are a lot of problems associated with that that the writer references in the rest of this chapter. Problems that come as, as a result of sin. There's the fear of death and the bondage that it brings. Verse 15. The fact that we have caused offense to God and are in need of reconciliation. Verse 17. That's what we broke. That's what we messed up. But thankfully... It doesn't end with that. Because in verses 9 through the end of the chapter, we read about how Jesus fixed what we messed up. And so even though right now we don't see everything in subjection to man, here's what we do see. And notice how he makes that juxtaposition in verses 8 and 9. We do not see all things in subjection to man right now, but verse 9, we do see Jesus. What a transition. We do see Jesus. Well, what did He do? The writer tells us, in the first place, He left heaven to become one of us. In verse 9, it says with regard to Jesus that He was made a little lower than the angels. Now, in pulling, with, in pulling from the wording of the psalm, the writer is now going to talk not just about mankind generally as he had previously. Now he's going to talk about the ultimate man, Jesus. But now we see Jesus, who was himself made a little lower than the angels. In other words, he became one of us. Verse 14, he says that Jesus himself partook of flesh and blood just like we, the children, did. Verse 17, He was made like His brothers. And in verse 11, He's not ashamed to call us His brothers. So we don't see everything right now in subjection to man, but we do see Jesus. He left heaven, became one of us. And interestingly, in verse 9, where it says that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels, and I believe that's the, the, the better translation. Some translations have, even the one that I primarily use, uh, says He was uh, made for a short while lower. An indication perhaps of time. I don't think that's the indication there. I think it's not, it's not for a short while in time, but He was made in, in, in rank a little lower than the angels. Not for a short while. And here's why I say that. Because, verse 9, it says, He was made. Now, the Greek language was very expressive. And the construction of that verb is in a tense in that language called the perfect tense. And what that means is, that the verb speaks of a past action that has results that continue up until the present. 
That makes sense? So you could translate that if you wanted to. He was made and remains made. A little lower than the angels. A past action, the results of which remain up until the present. Now what's the point? He was made, past action, a little lower than the angels and remains such. In other words, when Jesus came from heaven and took upon himself human form, he did not cease to be divine when he did that. He was God with us, Matthew 1.23. Okay? He didn't cease to be divine when he came to earth, neither did he cease to be man when he returned back to the Father. Wouldn't Paul refer to him in 1 Timothy 2 verse 5? As there is one mediator between God and man, himself what? Himself man, Christ Jesus. When Jesus came from heaven to identify with us and become one of us, He came to identify with us not for 33 and a half years, but from that point forward. That's why He can still be today a merciful and faithful high priest because He retains still His human nature as much as His divine nature. That's what's incorporated in the wording of Hebrews 2 verse 9. A past action with results abiding even to the present. Jesus became one of us. With all of our imperfections, with all of our baggage, with all of our junk, Jesus was not and is not ashamed to call us His brothers and His sisters. Hebrews 2 verse 11. We don't see everything in subjection to man now. But here's what we do see. We see Jesus made a little lower than the angels. Took upon himself flesh and blood. Made like his brothers. Not ashamed to call us brothers. And verse 10, he suffered. He came and suffered. Tasted of death for everyone. Verses 9 and 10. And so as a result of His incarnation, of His taking upon Himself human form, and then His death in that form, He is crowned with glory and honor. Verse 9. Human beings generally were crowned with glory and honor by giving dominion over God's creation. Jesus crowned with glory and honor because He tasted of death for every man. And in the process of doing that, he destroyed, he brought to nothing, he rendered powerless the one who has the power of death. That is Satan. Verse 14. Wait a minute. Who's got the power? Evidently he does. What the writer of Hebrews says, we don't have control over that anymore. Why? We lost it. Because we decided to give in to him. We humanity through Adam and Eve specifically. So now he has that power. But with what Jesus did, he rendered that power ultimately useless. Why? How? 
Because through Jesus, there's the power of resurrection. So he brought to nothing him who had the power of death and released from bondage those who have lived all of their lives in fear of death. That's verse 15. Too many people are afraid to die. You know, Jesus came and lived as one of us, took upon Himself our nature, died for us, was raised from the dead and glorified back to the right hand of the Father. He did all of that for a number of reasons, but one of them was to release us from the fear of death. We don't have to be afraid to die. Why? Because He paved the way for us in His own death, making possible our resurrection from the dead. And so we should be released from the fear of death and the bondage that it brings to us. In verse 17, He made propitiation. Not a word we use a lot in, in common language. The idea there is that Jesus eliminated all of the impediments that alienate people from God. That's propitiation. Jesus satisfied all of the demands of God's law and God's nature so that through that He released, He removed anything and everything that stands in the way of our being in close fellowship with God. He is our merciful and faithful high priest, verse 17, who helps us in our relationship with God, verse 18. And all of those things were done because God, according to verse 10 of that chapter, wanted to bring many sons to glory. God wants to bring you to glory. And because of that, Jesus left heaven, became one of us, made a little lower than the angels, partook of flesh and blood, made like his brothers, suffered, tasted of death for every man, now crowned with glory and honor. And through that process, destroyed him that had the power of death, made propitiation for our sins. He's our faithful, merciful high priest. All of that is why Jesus deserves our respect, our honor, and our complete devotion. There is nothing that he asks of us <clears throat> that is too much. No one deserves the allegiance that Jesus deserves. Hear me well. <clears throat> Please don't misunderstand though. No one deserves the allegiance that Jesus deserves. Not country. Not civil leader. Not political party. No one deserves the allegiance that Jesus deserves. Why? He's the only one that ever died for you. No civil ruler ever died for you. Not for the purpose for which Jesus died. People have given their lives in defense of country and all of that, and I'm not denigrating that. But those deaths were not equal to the Lord's death. They weren't for the same purpose. They didn't bring about the same result. 
That's why nobody deserves your allegiance like Jesus deserves it. Because He fixed what we broke. And He's the only one who could. And He did. So just like my son once walked up to me with a messed up fishing line and said, Daddy, can you fix it? We once stood before God, as it were, having messed up this world and messed up our lives because of sin, unable to do anything about it. And we stood before God wondering, God, can you fix it? And God said, yes, I can. And I will. And he did. But don't let everything that Jesus did for the world mean absolutely nothing to you personally because you don't want to embrace and accept what he did. It's possible that Jesus could have died in vain for you personally, if you never enjoy the blessings that His death brought to the world. Maybe you're not inside that place of spiritual safety where all spiritual blessings are located. If you're not, and you know you're not, but you don't want to stay outside of that anymore. You want what the Lord offers would you let us know that that's your desire today? We'd be more than happy, overjoyed, to open up the Word of God with you, to study with you, to help you understand what it is that God desires of you. What about those of us that are already Christians? Are we living life from day to day with the kind of appreciation and devotion and allegiance to Jesus Christ that He deserves? Or are we living for self? Living for yourself is a dead way to live. But living for Jesus is the only way to live. If you're not, figure out why. And whatever it is that's standing in your way, get rid of it. Because it's not worth your soul. May we pray with you today. If we may, let us know as we stand together and sing.